demonized mystics, shamans, people of that, and also the ancient races to be seen as primitive, to be seen as stupid, for it to be seen as nonsense. Do you think that's been a conscious thing? I think that it's uh, conscious and unconscious. Um, first of all, I think that those who want power, they're always going to denigrate people who have their own inner power. So if we know who we are, we, we don't, we're not going to be taken, we're not going to believe their stories. Welcome to the Prime Life Project podcast, a place to help you unlock your full potential, both mentally and physically, to become the best version of you. Welcome back to another episode of the Prime Life Project podcast, a place to help you both mentally and physically become the best version of you. I'm your host, Daniel James, and I'm recording this intro post-podcast because the conversation I had today with my guest uh, was very, very profound. It's a conversation that I've wanted to have with the guest for a very, very long time. We go very, very deep, and I wanted to record this after the episode just to give you maybe a warning, and the warning is that you're going to hear some information here that will potentially completely um, blow your version of reality. It might destroy some of your belief systems, and it may cause you to question a lot of things. Um, so I just encourage you to go into this episode with a very, very open mind. We cover a lot of things, and essentially this episode is about what it means to be human. That's the only real way I can describe this. And it talks about the suppression, the the, um, the deliberate suppression of what it really means to be a human and to actually tap into all the consciousness that's available to us. We don't go too deep into this. So again, listen to that if you're a bit put off. I promise you we, we keep it uh, on a level. It's a very, very, very uh, well-constructed conversation, I believe, because that's how we both wanted it to be. And hopefully just... Um, open some doors for you to help you become that best version of you. Again, the whole purpose of the podcast, mentally and physically become the best version of yourself. And I don't believe you can become mentally or physically the best version of yourself if you don't tr truly know yourself and understand this universal consciousness, this universal mind. So uh, it's going to be an incredible conversation. And um, my guest today is called Betty Kovac, and she is a PhD and recognized expert who shares her knowledge and passions through her books, speaking, teachings, uh, and media interviews in the United States and Europe. Uh, she's got a book called The Merchants of Light, The Consciousness uh, That is Changing the World, and is the winner of the Nautilus Silver Book Award and the Science and Medical Network 2019 Book Prize. So welcome to the podcast, Betty Kovac. Is that, did I say that correct? Yes, you did. Fantastic. Uh, thank you for joining me today. This is, like I said uh, with the introduction, this is going to be a really deep conversation. Um, I've done my research into you and you are absolutely fascinating. Like the, the stuff uh, and how you understand um, essentially what it means to be human is fantastic. And, and the, the knowledge uh, and the depth of your knowledge is fascinating. But today, I just want to just sort of scratch the, earth, uh, scratch the surface for my audience and then go a little bit deeper potentially by having you back on. But before we deep dive into this, can you give my audience a bit of a background into what got you into this? Because it's such an interesting uh, niche that you've got yourself into. How did this all? How did this all start? Yes. Well, you know, I think I'm like so many people born in the time that I was born and later is that we're born into a world that had a worldview, a perspective of what life is that was totally unacceptable. And that is the materialistic worldview that there's nothing but matter. There's no meaning. There's no purpose. We're a fluke of nature. And when we're dead, we're dead. And that's the end of the game. And even as a child, when I, that seemed so, so what's it all about? Why? But then that was a science story. Then there was the religion story. And so uh, my parents didn't go to church, but my brother and I, uh, would we moved a lot. And so we would always find a church where there were lots of kids and a good program for kids. So I did, uh, I was introduced to this beautiful character, Jesus, who was loving and kind and seemed to feel that there was some purpose in life and some meaning in this depth of love and caring. And uh, I can still remember uh, little felt boards. I don't know whether anyone alive today, uh, younger, a little bit younger than I am, that would remember that. But if we, you know, they put Jesus felt piece of Jesus on the <laughs> board and his disciples and so on. So it was, it was like, well, there's some meaning somewhere. 
But even as a kid, I would think, I don't know whether that's true or not. But then I would think in my child's mind, it's been going on for a very long time. And so surely it's true <laughs> mistake. But nevertheless, I, I wasn't aware that we can uh, carry um, belief systems for thousands of years, mm. even when they're very harmful to us. Mm. So those two stories, I couldn't, I couldn't really relate deeply to either one. And I didn't know if the science story is true. I didn't know whether the religion story is true. So my whole life was looking for something. What's really true? What, what's really going on? And even as a kid, I'd have this feeling of missing something. Something's missing. And I think, well, I, it's water. I take a drink of water. <laughs> it doesn't help. So anyway, there was that. And so I think my life was simply uh, a search. Is there any meaning? And if there is, how do I find it? And so I, I met, um, when I was in college, I met a young man who was a, a, a Lutheran minister, and he had just graduated from Andover Newton, which I think now is a part of Yale, I'm not sure, mm -hmm. but uh, so he had a party at his new uh, parish house, and these young men came with their wives, they were all men except who had just graduated, but they brought their wives or girlfriends. And so we had a party and I sat there and listened to them. They talked about mathematics, Carl Jung, physics, <laughs> psychology. I was smart enough to keep my mouth closed <laughs> because I knew nothing, but I was so fascinated. So after the party, he took me into his study and I selected uh, one. There were a few books I selected, but the most important one was Carl Jung's Modern Man in Search of a Soul. And I thought, well, I'm in search of that if it exists. <laughs> so I took that. And another one, I think, was the individual individualization process, something like that. Mm. But at any rate, I started reading Jung. I didn't really understand him very well, but I, I, there was enough there that I thought there's something here. I'm going to connect some dots. And that really began the process through Jung because he was both scientific and very much uh, experienced in, in the mystical. Mm -hmm. And so he was bringing this, the science and the spiritual experience together. Mm -hmm. So that's, and then I just kept on studying. And when I uh, started teaching in college, I decided I'm gonna teach a, college, a course in mythology. And this was in the 60s and 70s and students were they were alive and awake and interested and you know the same kinds of things I was and so the class was wonderful because we studied myths and fairy tales spiritual which are other people's spiritual traditions and we would just explore and examine everything. I think that's the thing so, so you hit on quite a few things there by the way and this is remarkable we've only been recording for however long a couple of minutes uh the interesting thing that you mentioned there is about missing something and as a child and thinking it was just water. I think as adults, I'm going to say about 90% of the adult population walks around feeling that exact same thing, but they put it down to lack of sleep. They put it down to uh, poor diet, lack of exercise. When really, I, I, I have been listening to you and doing my own research into myself and the spiritual journey I'm going down. Essentially what we're missing is understanding who we actually are. And, uh, and we've been convinced, and this is what I love about you, that you, you essentially highlight the fact that we've been lied to in the Western culture. And that's what I love about you. And this is where I really want to go today, because it's fascinating. Some of the stuff that you, some stuff you have taught me through doing research into you has blown me away, because I love this stuff, yet labelled as a conspiracy theorist and all that stuff. What I like about you is, like you mentioned with Jung, you back the science up with it, and you present actual evidence because i think a lot of people when it comes to the spiritual world all this sort of stuff they think it's woo woo they think it's fluffy they think you've got to be high on mushrooms which again is obviously potentially some stuff you, you can do but it's they don't understand that science is starting to back it up have you throughout your career had pushback because you're basically exposing this lie that we've been told well you know, you said it, woo-woo, that kind of thing. It is disturbing for me to hear that. Mm. When I started teaching the class at the college, uh, it was really the spiritual traditions of other people 
through their sacred texts. And Jung teaches us a sacred text is not sacred because we call it that. It's sacred because it's structured by the organizing principles of the human psyche, the mind, the heart. Mm. And so when we look at what we might call a true sacred text, it will follow these principles. And they are always for our growth and evolution, our development, and the entering into the wisdom of who we are Mm. deeply and profoundly, not who someone else says we are, which is what we have lived by in the Western world, is the power structure changed, inverted our true stories, and made us dreadful uh, sinners and flawed people. Sometimes I think it's just hard to imagine that people who wanted power over us would create, not create, construct such stories to demean us, to devalue us so that they could have power over us. Mm -hmm. And we've lived with those stories and call them sacred uh, myths or true stories from God. And they're not at all. They are false stories. And yes, we do. uh, You said it so, so well that today we're beginning to have a science that actually is worthy beginning to be worthy of the universe. And I want to say too, just to insert this, that uh, Western science, we always say started around, uh, well, the 17th century, the 1600s. In 1660, the Royal Society for the Study of Science was established in England. And that followed a Renaissance period at 1600 a powerful Renaissance period in which scientists, some the best scientists and alchemists and Kabbalists, uh, mystics, uh, engineers, mathematicians, they all came together uh, in Prague, the old Bohemia, and they had a Renaissance of science and mysticism. Church, when they caught wind of it in 1620, totally destroyed it, burned their text. And so these scientists, some were a part of the 1660 Royal Society, but everybody knew that they could not say a word about consciousness or inner experience. So science was, Western science was censored by the church. Mm -hmm. It's so strange to think that they couldn't say anything about consciousness, which couldn't say anything about spirit or soul or spirituality, uh, spiritual experiences. So these scientists, many who had worked with both, had now only to speak of science. So we we inherited a science that is there's only half. I'm not even half, probably. It's just the material world. And it isn't until the development of quantum physics in the early 20th century that we began, as you say, it begins, you know, oh, yes, there's more than matter. Mm-hmm. In fact, one a physicist says it so beautifully, Fred Allen Wolf says uh, that spirit is how, uh, let's see, how is it? Matter is how spirit looks in the physical world. Oh, wow. Matter is how spirit, it's a, it looks in the physical world. I mean, it's, it's just a manifestation of the spirit in a coagulated form, you know? So we're beginning to get, beginning to, get to some deep center, you know? I think that's the key thing, isn't it? Like the quantum physics, essentially all that's doing is highlighting and putting actual factual data to stuff that has been known. It's nothing new. It's nothing new. It, we just now have the equipment to actually quantify it with data because it's been known. Look at meditation. Meditation has been around, meditation, prayer, whatever you want to call it. It has been around for thousands of years, but we're now starting to understand through brain scans, etc., like the brain waves, what you can do, how you can alter the body, how you can put yourself into an altered state, like how you can put yourself into this altered state. It's absolutely bizarre. And the thing I like about you is that you talk about like uh, the, the ancient Egyptians, you talk about uh, all these different ancient civilizations, which some people have never heard of. And this stuff was known back then. So why do you think um, that this was suppressed? I know we're kind of going off a bit topic here, but why do you think this was suppressed? Because surely for me, you've got this information about human beings and consciousness and spirit, and essentially just becoming this amazing version of ourselves that we're meant to be why i know the answer to this but for the audience why would we want to suppress that well uh, when we know who we are we're not going to be controlled by a social or political force outside of us 
And I think people who haven't experienced who they are, they don't have that rootedness within themselves. There's a pathology that can easily develop uh, just as when we're addicted to something, we're not in control of ourselves. So we try to control everybody else, it seems, you know? And this certainly was the case. This is, if I just speak of the Western world, because that's what I write about, and it's easy to just focus on that, is that we, as the earliest information we have about ourselves in the cave cultures and, uh, and old Europe, and then Egypt, Egypt was incredibly developed, uh, at least at the core of it. And then we now know through the research of Margaret Barker that the first temple tradition in Judaism was a mystical experience, a shaman mystic uh, tradition. But when the Deuteronomists came in, and we don't really know who the Deuteronomists were, except that they were a group of priests, they were in power, and they were the ones who took our true soul stories from the mystics, uh, from their own mystical tradition, and inverted them. And the one that we, many of us grew up with is the story of, of the tree in the Garden of Eden, and which God says, you know, you can have all eight from any of these trees. I'm going to be away for a while. But you see that one right there? Do not eat of that. Well, as parents, we know that's precisely what the kid is going to do, right? <laughs> You're going to go right that. And so, uh, indeed, uh, Eve did, and the serpent was there and said, God said, you will die if you eat from it. And the serpent said, don't believe God, you're not going to die. And so she ate of it and then gave it to Adam. And then when God came back into the garden, he recognized they had committed this dreadful sin. They had sinned against God. They had disobeyed. They were the original sin, which all of your children, he said, will be born with and you are flawed and you were no longer worthy of life in the garden of life and they were kicked out and then an angel was there with the sword so they could not come back in to eat of the gar the tree of life eternal life well all of that is inverted nonsense but it's a story for power in the ancient world in sumer the whole Mes uh, mesopotamian area and also later in egypt where it's highly developed the tree was a very sacred symbol. It's, the, it's a symbol of who we are. We're deeply rooted in matter in the earth, and we rise up with the, our trunk into the heavens. The branches reach the heavens. And so we take in from both worlds. And the tree sometimes, uh, you know, when the tree in Egypt, the tree dies, it can look absolutely like it's dead. I think of my pomegranate tree. I look at that tree, it looks like it's a thousand years old. And then in the spring, it just comes back in this most magnificent, youthful looking way. Well, this is also a symbol of us. I mean, we die, but we are reborn. We are eternal. And in uh, uh, Sumer, for example, pre-Deuteronomist, the tree, uh, there are many symbols of it, and I have one in my book, Merchants of Light, in which the, there's the tree with fruit hanging from it, and the goddess on one side, the goddess on the other. She was not eliminated because we have to have both sides of who we are, the male and the female, the dark, the light, and so on. Both of them are looking at the tree and with their hands outstretched, eat, it's for you. I mean, it's offering the fruit to anyone who's ready to receive it. This tradition was so beautifully developed in Egypt. The tree is actually the feminine. And because she was always the symbol of heart consciousness, compassion, um, of uh, birth and death and rebirth, she was the symbol of the depths of who we are. And in those trees, she's actually the trunk of the tree. And of course, she's giving the fruit. She's actually handing the fruit. To people. Sometimes it's actually in a glass, a liquid, but we know that some of these trees that were sacred also produced sacred medicine uh, for uh, initiating a mystical process. So most, uh, for 40,000 years, many, many cultures use sacred plants in a very sacred way uh, to trigger the mystical tradition. Many indigenous people still use these plants and they always discover what they are. Now I talk about the sand people uh, in the Kalahari Desert. They don't, they have other techniques, but all of these early cultures developed techniques to trigger the mind 
into a universal mind that we all are, but then we limit it in order to live our daily lives. But back to the tree, if we just look at the real meaning of the tree, there's that it's always offered to anyone who's ready to receive it. And the Deuteronomist so distorted that the feminine always gives a fruit. And in their uh, version of it, she is giving it to Adam, but that's a bad thing to do. She's responsible for the sin. And of course, the serpent that's there is the Kundalini energy. You know, it's, and they make the serpent, the devil, the everything bad. So they've taken these exquisite symbols of the tree of life, the rising kundalini energy, and the immortal part of ourselves, the soul, offering to our physical selves the fruit of who we are, the knowledge of who we are. And look at how horribly that was inverted by the Deuteronomist. And then when the Roman church came along, they kept the horrible version. Mm. There's this thing for me where this is one of the I'm so glad you went down this route. This is something I want to talk about later on, like with the Bible. So for me, I love studying the Bible. Uh, it's what's one of the things for me. Like I, I believe that the Bible is essentially uh, a group of stories told on how we should be living our life to basically become this best version of ourselves. But as you said, you've got to pick it apart to sort of figure it out. But a lot of the books, like I said, Dead Sea Scrolls, all that sort of stuff has been taken away from it. My favorite story is the story of Daniel. So for me, the way that I understand the Bible is that essentially we are God, like again, eternal yes. life, this, this consciousness that we are God. So it's not this thing outside of us, it's ourselves. So the story of Daniel and the lions, Daniel goes into the, the lion pit, uh, basically turns around, asks God for help, a ladder comes, he escapes. So essentially you break that down to what it actually means. So it's basically your problems in life, like your deepest fears. You, if you face the fear, like if, you, if you, 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 all you focus on is the, the fears, they'll eat you alive. You have to turn your back <laughs> on right. it. You have to turn your back on it. Ask yourself, right, how am I getting myself out of this? And then you will answer your own prayers and then you will save yourself. You have the answers that like, we have everything that we need within us. Everything. 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 And it, it's bizarre, isn't it? Where you, you look at the very first story that you mentioned there, Adam and Eve, that is the fundamental thing you learn as a child in church. But as you said, it's completely inverted. Mm -hmm. It puts all the power externally. And yeah. again, we are born of sin. Yes. All the other, all, look, all the other religions like Buddhism, like it, it, it says like, no, 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 like we are absolutely perfect. And it, we are born perfect. Like, what a beautiful place would that be to start if most people actually understood that? Can we just clear up one thing? Because this is something that I think people, uh, again, I've had a few guests talk about this. But again, I think you're going to give a beautiful definition here. Um, because I was watching one of your presentations, and you have an amazing quote from, uh, I'm going to destroy this person's name, Amit Goswiem. Uh, and it says, uh, it is the eternal sea of consciousness that creates the universe. Consciousness, not matter, is the ground of all being. Now, can we actually define what is consciousness? And I know this is a massive question, but I think we've used it a few times here. So can we just define what we mean by consciousness? Yes. Well, I, actually, he has defined it when he says consciousness is the ground of all being. It's everything. There's nothing without consciousness. And that's what is such a, a new concept, a new old concept. Thank God for the quantum physicist. But our ancestors knew this, that consciousness creates the universe if there's no consciousness there's nothing mm. and we are all as you said consciousness we are part of that now we may be less aware of who we are or more aware and our ancestors taught us this that we are all born out of this field the quantum field physics physicists call it the quantum field spirit uh, spiritual people call it the spirit that we are all born out of this eternal infinite sea of consciousness and we are all a part of it and there are many ways of experiencing it of of coming into an understanding of it the other day i listened to someone who had had a near-death experience and he was saying that he was standing in grass up to his waist. And he said the grass was conscious. And the, he saw wildflowers with colors so exquisite he had never seen before. They were conscious. And that's true. Everything is conscious. 
it has different levels of consciousness in order to create different forms of matter. But we, the human being, has the ability to experience that full universal consciousness. And there have been those in our species who have experienced it. And many who have experienced glimpses of it. And you know, you said that you mentioned the Dead Sea Scrolls, which were not found until after World War II. And here were Jews who refused to go along with the Second Temple. They were First Temple people, really, because they were mystics. They, they felt that they carried the true covenant of Israel because the true covenant was the shaman mystic tradition in which each of us experiences who we are, that we are it. <laughs> and uh, then we also found right after World War II, the Nag Hammadi text. And this was, this was a real, talk about one's mind being blown, <laughs> is that, and it was hard to get these texts out because powers that be didn't want these texts to, to be known. But in the, the Nag Hammadi text, we find the true Jesus, the true story, because we now know that Jesus, the Jesus tradition was a rebirth of that first temple shaman mystic tradition. And so th these Jews, like the Dead Sea Scroll people and other Jews, the Essenes and the Therapeutae in Egypt, all of these were mystics. They wanted to hold on to that true tradition of who we are. But of course, that was lost. But the text in the Nag Hammadi text, these are texts which show Jesus as a mystic. And we, we also now know that in the early years of Jesus, there was a tradition. It was called the hidden tradition that Jesus taught, the hidden tradition. And that tradition was the first temple tradition, the shaman mystic tradition of going in and remembering who we are. Do you think this is, so do you think this is why there's been such a, Jonah used the word woo-woo earlier on. Do you think that's why there's such a push to keep this stuff seen as woo-woo, like shamans, for example, uh, to be a shaman, to be a mystic, is almost seen to be a weirdo, someone that's not quite with it, that's just, yes. to, just, just, just to avoid in society. Do you think that that's been a deliberate ploy um, to basically stop this information being known? Because I, I have to admit, growing up, when you see things on movies, how mystics are portrayed, uh, all these sorts of shamans, for example, they're seen as nutters. They're seen as absolute nutters. They're essentially have lost their marbles, belong in an insane <laughs> asylum. But mm -hmm. this is the thing. I, one of my good friends, she works at a mental institute where people are institutionalized. And she turned around to me during uh, the first lockdown and said, all this stuff that's happened, people come in and they tell us this stuff's going to happen. And we've locked them up for being insane. And she's just basically turned around and said, like, some of these people, some of the stuff they come out with is seen as bizarre and nuts. But everything they're saying is actually true. Is, so do you, my, my point in saying that is, do you think there's been a big push to, um, what's the word, uh, demonize mystics, shamans, people of that, and also the ancient races to be seen as primitive, to be seen as stupid, for it to be seen as nonsense? Do you think that's been a conscious thing? I think that it's uh, conscious and unconscious. Um, first of all, I think that those who want power, they're always going to denigrate people who have their own inner power. Mm. So if we know who we are, we, we don't, we're not going to be taken, we're not going to believe their stories. Mm. We're, we're going to realize who they are. That's one thing. Uh, and I think that there are those who consciously do that, like the Deuteronomist, and I think those in the church, I think they were, some of them were conscious of what they were doing, but I think many of them were not uh, conscious. And I think many people since are not conscious of it, but there's, you know, that it's just what is, you know, we have such a tendency to follow what we're told is reality. So a lot of people are that way, but I think they're especially that way because of the suppression of science. So we have grown up in the last few centuries with a very, incomplete science. That science knew nothing of the mystical life or the inner life. It acted as though it did. A true science would, scientists could never say there's no, nothing but matter 
because they didn't have the tools to explore anything else or to go inward or to have the mystic experience. A true scientist wouldn't say that. And yet the scientific view was there is nothing but matter, but they didn't, they didn't have the evidence for that. So I think that many people truly believed this stuff is crazy. And uh, people who had profound visions were just called, they were having a hallucination, something that wasn't true. Now, I think too, we need to say that, that there in certain types, I would say of mental illness, and I'll say why I'm calling it illness, mm -hmm. is that people can get in touch with this other dimension. They can see it, they know, but it overpowers them and they're, they don't have a way of integrating it and, um, and working with it in a balanced way. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they do lose their ability simply to do that, to be balanced. And they are locked up. Others are locked up simply because they know this mm -hmm. <laughs> kind of mm -hmm. thing. But I think what the, the goal would be uh, for us to be able to open ourselves to that vast consciousness, take in what we can and integrate it into our consciousness and our daily life so that it doesn't overwhelm us and we end up you know, somewhere where no one's paying attention to us. It's, it's how to integrate it and balance it. And many people in the 60s uh, had worked with LSD or mushrooms. They had powerful experiences, but they, we had no knowledge in our culture or very little that was available to mass numbers of people of how to integrate it. Mm. You know, how do you, I've seen it. How do I integrate this into my own wholeness so that I can create and live um, a fruitful life? I think this is, uh, I think it might have been Sadhguru that I heard say this. Um, but basically, he was talking about getting to this altered state of consciousness. And uh, basically, saying that if you're taking things like LSD and mushrooms, you're essentially cheating and you don't know how you got there. But essentially, so these ancient cultures, you didn't just take this thing one day, have this experience, and that was it. Like it was a process, like your entire being was, you were sort of uh, geared up towards it, you were guided through the experience. Yes, Afterwards, the adults. Was Yes, the adults guided and gave it. Yeah. Exactly. So you understood what the experience was. Whereas, as you said, you get teenagers nowadays or people in their 20s, whatever, they take this stuff, they have this profound experience, maybe as a fluke, and then they've got no idea how to harness this information, what it was, what it meant, what to do with it. And again, then they like chase the dragon, they keep going after it, but they don't understand what they've got. It's like someone that basically gets a million pounds. You don't know what to do with that million pounds, but mm -hmm. if you built a business and built the infrastructure, you get it you understand, ah, this is just what happens. Well, of course I've made a million pounds because I've done X, Y, and Z. But I think the Western culture, as you said, we're, we're not experienced in it. So some of us get this profound experience through mushroom psychedelics, but then we don't know what to do with it. Is that correct? Yes, yes I think that uh, I always look at these plants. These are gifts of the divine, truly. I mean, uh, it's when we, when we, in a ritualistic, sacred way, take in these plants uh, and do it as our ancestors would have done it, in which we join our consciousness with the consciousness of these plants, which are here so that we can do that. And then we also are working to integrate it and to then not only integrate it into our own consciousness, but to use it creatively for the culture there are our ancestors, we now know that the cave cultures, there were sacred plants available at that time in that area. They probably did. In fact, I think uh, it has even been found in the caves, but certainly we know they danced to trigger this sacred consciousness. Uh, and they also probably did the plants, but it was all in, it was integrated in a way that they worked with uh, the other side, which is our heritage. So they say that when they painted on the walls of the caves, that they were helping to bring from the spirit world these, these entities into time and space. So they were working in a way of trying to integrate it. And the San Bushmen uh, did not use any kind of sacred plants. They were in the desert, but they developed uh, repetitive dancing and uh, music and chanting that would trigger the mind 
to open up to this universal consciousness or cosmic consciousness that we all are. Mm -hmm. And it was a communal thing. You know, it wasn't just an individual sitting cross-legged in a dark room alone. Uh, when someone told them that in certain part of the world, there were people who did that, they did this alone, and then went into a sacred consciousness, cosmic consciousness, they said, oh no, alone? Because for them, it's communal, it's touching and dancing and love and integrating it in the community. And that seems very healthy to me. So I think that, um, that plants used in a sacred way and with the knowledge of how to integrate them can, is very, very important. But there are so many other methods. And I think that today we're creating, trying to create different methods because we've got to know this. We've got to remember this now because we have people who are the product of centuries of repression and suppression who think we're nothing we're flawed therefore i have to fix you with nanomedicine and artificial intelligence and merging you with the machine because you are basically flawed mm. you know and this is a very dangerous thing because the plans are laid out mm -hmm. for the great reset in which we're all going to be restructured and remade Mm -hmm. So this is, I think, these are the children of this thousands of years of suppression who don't know who they are. They have no concept that every individual is cosmic consciousness and is capable of experiencing it, something they can't give us with their transhumanism. Mm -hmm. But we have to wake up and wake up fast mm -hmm. today, but we have to integrate it too, mm -hmm. so that we can help to heal this horrible cancer you might say in our species that mm. is the result of this suppression mm. and not knowing who we are mm. i completely agree uh, i also the great reset i do not want to go down that rabbit hole but i completely agree but we are, we are not going down that rabbit hole but i i want i 100 agree there uh so we're going to leave it at that um but for me so i i i potentially think i might disagree with you here on some of this stuff i think that the people in power I think that they know this information and they use it for themselves. Again, it's like knowledge is knowledge. It's then what you do with it that makes it good or evil. I think they know this stuff, but they're using it for themselves, if that makes sense. I think they know how to, because again, that's how they've gained power, kept power. I think they understand the laws of the universe. They're just using them very negatively, like the dark side of the force, let's say. I think they know that we are special, that we are conscious beings. I just feel like they know it and they're consciously suppressing it, if that makes sense. Do you know what I, mean? I, 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 I think that obviously some people are very ignorant to it. I don't think for a single second they know the extent of how powerful we are. But I think these textbooks, for example, the, the Dead Sea Scrolls, they are in the Vatican safe. They are there. That, that I, I don't believe that people don't know this information. I just think that they are then choosing to keep it for a select few and then trying to push us down. That's kind of, would you agree with that? Or do you think it's completely the opposite? They had to know that we're capable of something. Otherwise, they wouldn't have tried to control us. Mm -hmm. uh, just like the church calls the Gnostics, those who could experience it, uh, heretics. So they know there's something that can give us inner power. My feeling is that if they'd ever had the experience of cosmic consciousness, they would never want to control anybody mm. because they have their own power. So mm. I think that they may well know that there's something that people can experience that they don't want, because if we do, we can't be controlled. But I think if they had experienced it, they would be incapable of mm. doing what they're doing. Because then you know who you are. You have this power, this love, this, it's just, what would power over someone be in contrast to that? It's interesting. But I would agree with you in the sense that they are afraid of something, just like LSD. They wanted to, the government wanted to use it for uh, military means and to control people. 
But when they realized what was happening, they realized they couldn't control these creatures who were who were doing that, and neither could the, many of the people taking it. You know, so that was this huge thing, and no one knew quite what to do with it. But but uh, so I think yes, there's theoretically they would want to control us because they know there's something. Mm. And I did read of someone working in artificial intelligence from Italy who had this experience spontaneously and it changed the way he looked at everything. Mm. So. Um, I, I, I think with this, like, I, I feel so grateful to be having this conversation because I don't have this conversation openly with a lot of people. And I'm very glad I get to share this with my audience. Because uh, again, a lot of my audience won't know that these are my views on stuff. I keep it very much. My thing is the whole point of this podcast is to help people mentally and physically become the best versions of themselves. And once I've gone down this journey to understand consciousness myself and understand universal energy and all this sort of stuff, universal, I, I couldn't then keep it to myself. So I've then mm -hmm. started to drip feed it in, if that makes sense. I've then come across yourself and it's literally like a, a train hitting you. It's like, it's like, it's not drip fed. It's like, bam, here's all this information. And I think a lot of people listening to this will be struggling to hear some of this stuff because it'd be completely new to them. And I know for myself personally, it's like the matrix, the movie, once you get unplugged from it, it is very, very uncomfortable when you realize that your life is based essentially upon a lie. And there's people that are trying to suppress your true power. Because for me, coming through my depression, meditation for me has been the most profound thing that I've ever done because it takes me, I, I feel like it takes me to a different planet. Like when I'm there, I am not, I'm not here. I'm not here. I get myself into such a state and it's like in a positive state, like it's, it is the most freeing, liberating thing ever. And once you've experienced that, you can't then un-experience it. And for me, it's like, I believe this stuff should be taught in schools. I believe we should be taught to meditate. I believe we should be taught emotional intelligence. I believe all this sort of stuff should be taught. But can we just have a definition again about, because um, again, we've mentioned this a few times, about this universal mind. Because again, you, you, you've touched on it earlier on, so I just want to sort of loop back around to it. Because again, you've literally just given gold here. It's been gold, gold, gold. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to, uh, trying to for my audience, like just tie some loose ends up. Uh, the, I think this is a quote from yourself. Uh, the function of the brain is mainly to limit our access to universal mind so we can function on a daily basis and not be overwhelmed and confused. Like, so again, with kind of tying, tying what I've said here, what is universal mind or cosmic consciousness? Okay, and that, I think Bergson was the first one who said that, and then Aldous Huxley uh, also repeated it. Of course, Aldous Huxley was one who, through LSD, experienced this vast <laughs> universe. Uh, but uh, I, that makes very good sense to me is that we're multidimensional people. So we have, we are universal mind. That is the full breadth of consciousness, but we're gonna play the game of being individuals. We're all one, but we're gonna play the game of being you and me. And so that in, in a physical body, so we have to limit, uh, I have to limit my consciousness so I can drive to the store and shop and do all of these things that we do as human beings. And also what, a, what an incredible game to be two separate individuals and love each other and experience that, that loving each other, uh, the individuality and the difference and the polarities. So that is so necessary, but we can't deal with life, life unless we have that larger consciousness or that sense of it because meaning has to be able to endure death mm -hmm. and this larger consciousness then gives us that so individual consciousness is limited cosmic consciousness which we can experience when we're not driving an automobile mm -hmm. you know there are those who believe that we will one day achieve cosmic consciousness and all of us will have it uh, available to us and it will inform everything we do when we limit this consciousness so we can function on a daily basis. But I think what we don't know now and we've been lied to about is that we are born out of this full consciousness of the universe. We are, and this is what our shamanic mystic ancestors wanted us to know and they did everything to try to uh, preserve it for us is that we are immortal. We don't die. Our consciousness doesn't die. 
we're in this particular time and space and body for particular kinds of experiences. We are immortal. We are divine, as you said, and we are creative. Mm. I mean, obviously consciousness is creative. Now, if we take these negative stories that we're nothing and we're flawed and we're all of this, we don't think we can create. Mm. We don't realize that there is the infinite possibility. And I'll have to give you an example is that uh, in my first book, Miracle of Death, I talk about the deaths uh, in my family. You know, my mother was killed by an automobile in 1990, and our only child, Pishti, was 20. He was in a, an automobile one year later. And in fact, they took him off the support system exactly at the hour and, and time, minute, that my mother had been killed one year before. And then two years and four months later, my husband was killed in his native Hungary. He was there. So, but before he was killed, he and I experienced our son's consciousness. And there were, I write about that. I recorded all of that. I was very accurate about the information. But <laughs> I, I was the one who'd spent my life studying this, teaching this, you know, myth and fairy tale and this kind of thing. But I didn't really have the experience of immortality. And what we did with Pishti, first of all, he wanted, I mean, his consciousness was fully present. He wanted us to know he's fine. Don't worry about that. And, and he also wanted us to know what the earth is going to be going through. So we had hours with him over a period of, of two years. It was very intense. And uh, so then, then I, I, I knew Yes, I knew for myself because I'd experienced it that we are immortal. And there were things that came through my husband had never, he wasn't interested in that. He was supportive of me, but that wasn't his thing. And oh my goodness, when he had that first experience, it was, he sat up on the side of the bed afterwards and he said, I had no idea what you were talking about. I will never look at the earth in the same way again. And he mm -hmm. didn't. He actually had to become a support for me because I had all of that university training, you know, and the left brain stuff to really believe it. So he had an experience and PhD and he were in Peru and they were looking out over the ocean and where the sky joined the ocean. And PhD said to his dad, dad, even that is not the limit. They're just like, there's no limit immediately no Istvan that was absolutely correct for he knew there is no limit to what we can do even that is not the limit and I was immediately my brain started going oh this and that I thought of a thousand different things that were limits that was my training in the western world that's really good for me to know if someone wants to control me that I have my limits well over time and more experience I came to realize that is absolutely true. There are no, we are divine creators mm -hmm. and immortal. And when we can understand that, and of course, all of that consciousness itself, when we say, what is it? It is rooted in love. Otherwise, there's no connection to anything. Love is the same as consciousness and light. It's the same. Love this. And when it comes to love as well, we talk about the heart. Uh, again, that's, I think that's a whole podcast by itself. And I would actually love to talk about that at some point with you because uh, you were the first person that introduced me to the power of the heart. I didn't actually realize how powerful the heart actually was. I knew it was powerful, but I didn't realize how powerful it was over the brain. So that'd be a really interesting topic yeah, to talk about with that. So it's, it, it, it's, it, it, we talk about love and all that sort of, it, it's all the same thing. So, so my, my thing with this, I just kind of want to summarize this for my audience, I think, and I'd love to know your, your thoughts on this. So for me, uh, this uh, universal mind, is essential is energy everything is yes. energy everything is everything. energy. so again that's you break right. it down and th that is fact you break it down everything electrons break it down everything's electrical flying around and that then takes form to create my phone and this microphone and all that sort of stuff right. mm -hmm. so we are energy beings energy as science tells us cannot be destroyed it can only be transferred so when our physical body dies it makes complete sense to me that someone's consciousness can then live on because essentially, you just go back into the ether, into the universal mind. You just go back to where exactly. you came, like, like the sea. So a wave comes up. It's still That's part right. of. It's still part of the sea. It comes up. Mm -hmm. It goes back down. So people listen to this. I just want you to understand this on a very basic level. That it's, again, some people listen to just you talk there, saying you, you've had conversations with your son. That will be a lot for some people. 
It'd be woo woo to a lot of people. Exactly. But but when you understand it from an energy level, it makes complete sense. And once I understood this, for me, I was like, well, of course people don't die. Like, of course, the, the physical body, the physical body does. I get yeah. that. And I think a lot of people can't harness this because people are like, well, why hasn't my son come to me? Why hasn't my mum come to me? I believe it's because we are essentially antennas. We're antennas to get this information from the universal mind to, again, like a radio antenna, draw this energy in. But because of the world we are in, we are not able to download from this universal energy. And through things like your meditation, through all this sort of stuff, again, doing the inner work, the proper inner work, not the, the crazy weird stuff that people claim to be inner work, like the actual inner stuff, where you tap into your energy and you connect with high vibrations, you are able to then connect with again this universal mind which is creative which is where musicians and poets come up exactly. with their work which is exactly. when you get this little idea that idea came from something that's right it comes from the quantum field from Ex the spirit world exactly yeah. and for me the quantum. biggest thing is we are creators and if you look at the law of oh, not the law of attraction law of assumption that we can literally create our future you create it you attach the feeling to it you attach all this emotion to it and again it will be drawn to you people just go please go and research this stuff please just please 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 sorry but is that quite a good summary of what this this whole thing is with energy for people yes, on a simplistic that, level and yes because uh, uh lynn mctaggart um and I don't recall the name of the book right now, Kim might know it, Lynn McTaggart is, she writes about science, she writes beautifully about all of these discoveries that are being made by quantum physicists. And yes, she talks about how they, how the physicists speak of it. It's an eternal sea uh, of light, of energy. Mm -hmm. It records everything that is ever said or done. Think about that. And its ability to record is infinite. So yes, and it's not just uh, the physical world or the spiritual world, there's one energy and it can take infinite forms, yes. And uh, I, I want to say something else though, that go back to what you said about children should be taught this. Once we know who we are, education will have to change. Oh, yeah. absolutely. I, I yeah. couldn't agree more. It, it should have changed a long time ago, I believe. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, but we are going to have to go through a lot of understanding and awakening, but yes, this, this field, I, we, can, we can experience slivers of it, it seems, uh, just moments of it. But I think that the basic characteristic is that when you're there, it's like, oh my God. I mean, it's like, <laughs> and the love is so vast. And in, even when you look at people who are murdering, who are doing terribly, terribly destructive things, you don't accept what they do, but you understand their illness. You know, you understand the darkness better. As someone has said, always in any age that we live in, we must unmask the darkness that we're dealing with. And that will help us to see the darkness in ourselves. And if they're anti-evolutionary principles at work in the darkness, which there is, and have been in every one of our inverted stories, then those anti-evolutionary principles awaken in us our evolutionary principles. This is David Nicole has written beautifully about that. And so we then begin to understand where are these pieces of darkness in ourselves that we can heal. Mm. And, uh, and then always though, that light, that consciousness, that love is working with us. Yes, Kim just gave me the book. It's Lynn McTaggart, The Field, The Quest, for the secret force of the universe. And she's very good in writing about the recent discoveries of quantum physicists and how that is the same kind of energy as the mystics experience, but they're experiencing it from different perspectives, mm -hmm. <laughs> but describing the quantum field as the spirit field, a scientist is going to describe it from a scientific perspective and the spirit is one from experience. And as I say in, in Merchants of Light, the, the shaman, mystic and the scientist both are working with out of the quantum field mm. and both are needed we need to know how it, we once we've experienced this it's like how does this work 
physically, mm -hmm. mathematically, and so mm -hmm. on. And so it actually was the mystics who gave mathematics to science. They were wow. the ones. <laughs> and, you know, it's... Uh, we've got to, to remember a lot <laughs> we, we, we absolutely do I, I just want to pick up on something again you said there which again is absolutely profound uh, and again i've mentioned it a few times recently on the podcast about um the uncomfortableness of finding out about yourself because as you said there we all have a piece of darkness within us we all yeah. do yeah. and again, that's one of the biggest things for me when i went on a course recently that basically in the world everyone's a victim everyone's had stuff done to them it's very rare that you meet someone they accept their darkness and their flaws. But for me, this has been one of my biggest things is actually understanding my flaws and then being kind to myself through this. But it's That's very, important. it's yeah, very, it's very <laughs> yes, but it's very uncomfortable when you're actually doing this work and you realize that you have had this darkness, you have done horrible things, you have hurt people, not intentionally, but yeah. you, ha you do have a nasty uh, streak. You aren't nice sometimes but you have to accept that you can't accept the light without the darkness. But the way that you destroy darkness is with light is with love. Like you said there, how do you destroy darkness? Yes. Turn the light on. It's just. Draw yes. attention and, to it. and once we do see where we've been nasty, <laughs> you know, then once we see it, we don't have to be that. Absolutely. At least not that brand. <laughs> no, exactly. But awareness is the key, isn't it? I say to people, it once you're aware of something, yeah. you can do something about it. The problem is most That's, of us aren't aware of it. Exactly. And I wanted to say also that my, my son, Pishti's girlfriend, had experiences too. And in one experience, she was outside the earth looking at it, and she saw all of this pollution around it. And Pishti was with her, and he said, some of that is made by the physical world. But much of that pollution is created by inverted thinking, uh, false thinking myths. Uh, it's by our inability to know who we are, or at least are not knowing who we are, and that we believe, it's all of our belief system, that there's nothing, there's no way of connecting. And we've created a kind of barrier around the planet with these false notions that we're nothing, you know, we're flawed, there's nothing else, and that's woo-woo that that kind of thinking and she saw that it was that, that the thinking the belief systems can create something really difficult to penetrate so that the the communication is sometimes marred by that mm, absolutely that's and, it. It, it is it the belief systems again that's a whole other topic like i said yeah. i could talk to you for hours on all this stuff because like i said the, the the information and and I, I think we've done a very good job here like as it was coming to an end we've done a very good job of keeping this very very concise because like i said because with this like i said the, the avenues we could go down is absolutely infinite again in universal consciousness like it's absolutely infinite um i've got two things i'd like to ask you uh, to, to wrap up here the first one is to anyone listening to this that has had a bit of a gut-wrenching feeling listening to us thinking i want to know more about this apart from your two books that we're going to talk about at the end uh, where people can buy that is there a book that stands out to you that people could uh, read and be like, this is going to help me go down the rabbit hole. Is there anything that stands out in mind? You know, this is the thing that today there are so many. Uh, I belong to the scientific and medical network in the UK, and they have scientists, their whole aim after quantum physics, they knew it couldn't be just scientists anymore. They had to be scientists and mystics. <laughs> and their program, if one wants, you can join it. Every week, there are scientists and mystics and it's physicists I mean, it just is incredible i can't i can't possibly listen to it i'm just seeing but they make us that organization helps us to realize that there are so many people today who are working both from physics science mathematics engineering and mysticism and working with nature in ways of coming into an understanding of the consciousness in nature and in the plants and in the food. And it's just, it's amazing. I would say if someone wants to be in touch with what's really going on today in this dimension of science and mystics uh, is that organization. Also, uh, you had mentioned the heart, the um, heart math is an organization that uh, really helps people to learn how to meditate through the heart. Mm. And their work has been scientific as well as experiential. And they are 
amazing in, in their experiments to show that children, for example, were having a lot of trouble studying, uh, learning. They did were doing poor, very poorly in school that they, after working with meditation through the heart, they did so much better in school. Their behavioral problems uh, were much, much better. So it's that living from the heart that has that profound connection to the brain, especially the right symbolic brain that communicates with the left brain. So they are a good organization too. And I can't think of just one book. There are mystics who are writing, uh, who are quantum physicists today. I mean, when, but if, you, if the, a person, a listener would go to the scientific and medical network, they would find people and books that just absolutely will blow their minds away. And we think, oh, wake up, we've got to wake up. Look what we've been believing. You know, we are so much more. I, honestly, I, I've had yeah, Mikey here in the background has been nodding along this whole time. This has been fantastic. <laughs> this has honestly been absolutely one, one of my favorite conversations I think I've had for me to actually talk openly and freely about my actual beliefs. Because like I said, uh, people aren't ready to hear a lot of this stuff. So I tend to just drip feed it in with different guests, just drop a little bit of information there. So long time listeners will know that this is a big sort of train at once. <laughs> um, where can people find out more information about you? And where can people find out more about your two books? Well, the, uh, the website uh, is uh, W, well, you, everyone knows that, Kamla, K-A-M-L-A-K, K-A-M-L-A-K.com. And I have articles there and there are videos and podcasts and webinars there. And of course, they can purchase the books if they choose from uh, Comlock. And if they want to join the newsletter, they'll get more information. And they will also get a chapter of the book automatically. Uh, so um, that's basically the place. And Kim Savedra is the director of the Comlock Center. And um, so I think her email is there and there's all kinds of information she can give out. Amazing. I get Mikey to put all that at the bottom of the screen uh, for anyone listening on YouTube or sorry, watching on YouTube uh, or watching on Spotify as well. And again, all the links will be in the show notes. Uh, Betty, thank you ever so much for your time. This has been absolutely incredible. Oh, thank you. I've so enjoyed it. Thank you. Take care.